Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. I'm very glad that you are tuning with us today for this occasion and open the Bible together. It's a very beautiful uh, topic today. Choose life. I believe that's the invitation for us all to choose life and live to the fullest. I'd like to introduce our panel and I will say, uh, hi, Len. Good to have you with us. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the program. Joe, good to have you with us also. Good to be here, Nick. And Ken, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here again. Lija, thank you for being part of the panel. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. And Brenton, thank you for coming with us today, particularly for uh, you being the facilitator and joining us from uh, beautiful down south in Mount Gambier where the sun is shining and the sky is blue. (laughs) We're looking forward, Nick, to uh, sharing this very, very important topic of choosing life with our listeners. Yeah, welcome to the program, uh, Brenton. And uh, with no further comments, I would like to just hand it over to you, Brenton. Mm, Thank you. As Nick has mentioned earlier on, our study topic for today is entitled Choose Life. Whether we like it or not, we go through life and we make choices every day, not just about getting up in the morning and going to bed at night, but there are choices that are made all the way along the line. Before we look at this subject, I would like to read a statement, uh, which I think we'll be, we will discuss, but I'll get, first of all, I would like, um, Ken, if you would say prayer for us before we begin because we really do need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'll then read the statement, we'll comment on it, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Ken. Heavenly Father, as we come together again to share your holy words from the Bible, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to send your message out over the air. We ask that your Holy Spirit will guide all that is said, and your words of life will help others seeking Jesus to search for him in this crazy world. Father. People everywhere are worried and concerned about the things coming upon the earth. Everywhere we turn, there are problems mankind cannot fix. There's only one person who holds the answers, and that's Jesus. Christians all around the world know his return is getting closer. The Bible prophecy makes that very clear. Father, we pray for all those people searching for answers to seek out Jesus while he may be found and have that inner peace that passes all understanding that only comes through knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Mm, Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much. I'm going to read a, a section first, then I'll read this statement. The privilege to exercise freedom of choice was given us by God, and unfortunately it's rapidly vanishing. We place great value in our society on freedom of choice and individual responsibility. However, groupthink is replacing this freedom by determining what we should think, feel and act upon. Political correctness has invaded our decision-making and people are being influenced into accepting what they are told in all platforms of the media and social media. In fact, studies have revealed many children now get their values from social media rather than from their parents. And this can inhibit their ability to choose God's way. People today are no different from those whom Moses was urging to choose life as they stood on the borders of the promised land. The gospel is a trumpet call to choose God and live. 
There was a statement that I came across, which I thought reflects how God originally created Adam and Eve. And it says this, though created innocent and holy, our first parents were not placed beyond the possibility of wrongdoing. God might have created them without the power to transgress his requirements. But in that case, there could have been no development of character. Their service would not have been voluntary, but forced. Therefore, he gave them the power of choice, the power to yield or to withhold obedience. It was the will of God that Adam and Eve should not know evil. The knowledge of good had been freely given them, but the knowledge of evil, of sin and its results, of wearing toil, anxious care, of disappointments and grief, pain and death, this was in love withheld. Now, that's a very profound statement as we um, go into the study of our word. And in a minute, Ken will be sharing from Genesis 2 with us on that issue. Panel, do we have any thoughts on this particular thing? What are your thoughts on why God created us in this particular manner? Was there a reason for it, do you think? And um, because if, if he had created us as um, automatons, we would have done the, the, the right thing automatically. Uh, Len, you had a thought for us. Well, I think there's some background to all this. That background we can find in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, and Revelation 12. Yes. It talks about, and we've discussed this on air, about how come sin came into the universe in the first place. And it, it started in heaven. And I think that one of the things that Lucifer did while he's in heaven trying to set up a counter kingdom to God's was to cast doubts on God by saying, well, you've got no choice. You worship God because there's no other choice. He said, I'm providing the choice. You can worship me. And I think God had a point to prove. And that was that people do have a choice, even in the with the angels in heaven who had never, ever encountered sin before. And so this is simply an expression of God's character. When God made human beings, he made them out of love. And choice is part of love. Thank you, Len. That's so very concisely put. Does anybody else have any thoughts on this? You asked the question, Brenton, why... God was withholding from them all the evil things which may come, and he was revealing to them, you know, all the good things. I know you read a statement there, and uh, I agree with that, that God was not intending to portray before them all the bad things which could come, which God in his all-knowing, you know, omniscient, would have known. But, you know, look at even us today, which we are sinful people, we are trying to protect our loved ones, you know, from the bad things around in the world. Look even at the news now, how much damage this does for people because of all the negative things all the time. Now, I'm not saying here that God haven't told them anything because obviously when the question was posed there uh, that if you eat from this fruit, you'll die. I mean, that was a negative thing. And uh, I must say this, that God God would have said something to them in that regard, because otherwise they wouldn't have a clue. What's that? What's that? 
You know, I think God yeah. would have mm. explained yeah. to them what that means, but maybe he would have been gone into the whole details of the horror of the uh, the things and probably even talking i'm not sure even talking about uh, satan uh, disobedience and all the the bad things you know which came with that now that's a good thought it's interesting some of satan's accusations which unfortunately you have to find in other sources other than directly in the word of god um, in uh, writings that we call spirit of prophecy writings uh, there's some interesting comments. One of them is that Satan claimed that God was over, um, what's the word? He was being over generous to his creatures in order to make them subject to him. Just like what happens in life sometimes when a person goes and helps another person and instead of leaving it at a certain point, they keep helping them and keep um, uh, servicing them, if that's the word, to the point that they get over-serviced and then that person becomes dependent upon the other person. And Satan was trying to say that this is how God operates. He doesn't operate because he loves us. He operates by over-servicing us and making us dependent, totally dependent upon him. In other words, the dependency, whilst that is true, is not based on love. It's based on self-interest. And um, Ken, you're going to share with us from Genesis chapter 2. There was a perfect environment. You're going to read that in verses 8 and 9. Then you're going to read what we have just commented on at the moment uh, and look at the choices that God offered them. Thanks, Ken. So Genesis 2, verse 8 and 9, and also if you would read verse 16 and 17 for us and comment on it. Sure. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here we see, we're setting the scene here, that God has made this beautiful place. He's putting lots and lots of beautiful trees, but two trees in particular, which are in the middle of the garden. And then we come across verse 16, and it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden I may freely eat. But then in verse 17, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now here we see that God has got this perfect environment for mankind, but he's telling them of this particular tree, you cannot eat. Of every other tree, which there'll be lots and lots of many, many choices, you can have fruit and eat and, you know, just help yourself to that. But one tree only you're not to touch. And this comes back to a very, very simple rule. It wasn't a complex law or anything that God had made. It was a very, very simple thing. And it comes back to trusting God or not trusting God. And he made it very clear and very simple. But unfortunately, we know what happened, which we'll probably talk about later on. Yeah, thank you, Ken. You've summed that up pretty well. How many choices did they have? They really had two, didn't they? Either to choose to obey God or not to obey God, to eat of the fruit or not to eat of the fruit. Yes, really it's the a issue very was simple the, choice, Brenton. Yeah, simple it wasn't choice, but, <laughs> but the issue was more an issue of not, it's not so much eating, more of an issue of trusting God. Has anyone got any thoughts on that one? Joe, have you got any thoughts on that one? 
I think that, um, yes, there's only uh, there was a choice either to obey God or disobey God. But we've mentioned that they were given a freedom of choice. And yes. uh, this was an opportunity for them to exercise it. You know, it's like the little fledgling bird, you know, um, it won't know that it can fly unless it okay. tries. And so here we have them given an opportunity to exercise their freedom of choice and Satan there to pervert it. So I guess um, in today's world, we say, well, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And he was God offering them eternal life and all sorts of things. And, you know, but the only thing, the only little thing that they had to do was not touch that tree. And so um, Satan played on that and created that imagery. And I guess we're going to be discussing more about this as we go along, but created that. Now, why does God not want us? You know, there's got to be more to this, a suspicion. Yes. Yes. And that's the aspect that that Satan came in on, wasn't it? That's it. That's it. And another aspect to this is that um, they weren't tricked. Eve might have been deceived, but. She was, you know, God wouldn't have allowed them to be tricked without knowing, knowing, being fully aware, not to the point of an experiential sin in their own lives, but they would have had to have had fully informed of the consequences and yet still choosing to try something different. You yes. know what I mean? It wasn't yes. like, you know, they were duped. Yep. You know, it wouldn't have been fair of God to, you know, you, do you trick children? Is that fair? No, you don't. So clearly there was an aspect of cognitive decision-making, and I think we're going to be talking about, you know, the issue of seeing and making assessments yes. Yes. and making judgments. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Well summarised. Um, Len, you're going to share with us um, a section which follows on from what Ken has read. And it's uh, in, found in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6. We know it simply as the fall of man. But there are some interesting thoughts in here. I'm, I'm happy for you to read that and share with us um, your thoughts on it. Okay. Well, it's interesting that in the middle of the garden, there was two trees. There were two trees. Pardon my grammar. There yes. Was the tree of knowledge, <laughs> good and evil, and the tree of life. And what we're talking about today is choose life. Yes. And when you open up your Bibles, for anybody who's not very familiar with the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 starts by saying, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, I'll stop there. Now, serpents don't usually speak. No. Um, I've never heard a serpent speak. And who is this serpent? Well, we have some other clues in the Bible. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, um, talking about Satan, he is given several names here. He's called the great dragon, that ancient serpent, or the devil, or Satan. So here we have a clue who or what this serpent was. As far as I'm concerned, it was Satan using this serpent, which supposedly was not like a snake is these days, but rather beautiful, using it as the medium by which he approached Eve. Now, there's another clue, and that's found in Ezekiel chapter 28, where it talks about Satan, where it says, you were in Eden. 
So this serpent from those other sources uh, was Satan. Now, what did he do? Well, he said this. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, some versions say every tree. But I can see this. Um, Any could mean one. And my interpretation is, did God really say you must not treat, eat from one tree in the garden? He began to sow the seeds of doubt. Now, I want to tell you about a little social experiment. Let's say you go to work. If you work in a um, school or an office or something like that where there are other people, and there might be somebody who comes to work that morning feeling perfectly well and happy. But you plant seeds of doubt and you might say, Hello, Mary, you're not looking too good today. Are you feeling all right? Innocent statement. So Mary perhaps passes that off, goes and sits down and working at her desk. Somebody else says, Hello, Mary, um, are you all right today? You, you, you're not looking normal. And so Mary is starting to think, Yes. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. And after this happens a few times, Mary has to go home because she's feeling sick. (laughs) Well, she came to work feeling perfectly well. So this is what Satan did. I'll go on. Genesis chapter 3. The question was, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then Satan announces, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here he is putting seeds of doubt about God's veracity, that God's righteousness. He's saying God is holding something back from you. And if you have some fruit from this tree, you will know something that God has been keeping from you. What a pity she did. It is. She took that fruit, she ate it, and she began to die, and so did Adam because he took some too from that very moment. So there are many, many lessons that one can draw from this particular thing. If you know something is wrong, Better not go near it. Don't think about it. Don't look at it. Because all that will draw you in. And this is part of the subtlety of Satan. Yeah, thank you, um, Len. You've touched on that pretty well. Joe, I wondered if you'd read verse 6 for us, please, of Genesis 3 and comment on it. Because this is um, pertinent to what Len has been saying up until now. But verse 6 introduces a different element that I believe... God did not want them to have, but she has now started to exercise. This is where the power of choice is being exercised. What does verse 6 say? It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? The word saw in particular, where else do we find that? I think we see that in creation when 
God, when actually God saw that what he had created each day was good and very good. Yes. And so clearly there's an aspect of making a judgment, an assessment that something is worthy or not. And so she, in a sense, was taking upon herself the ability to judge for herself what is right and good, almost usurping God's position in as an authority in her own life, now becoming her own mistress rather than obeying God as the master. Mm, thank you, Joe. That's a very perceptive comment. Anyone else got any thoughts on verse 6? Ken, you wanted to share with us on that one. Just a couple of things jumps out at me in this one. One is that uh, God had warned them beforehand about these trees. Yes. In other words, God is not keeping anything back. He's open about everything. He makes it very clear and he gives them a warning. He doesn't wait for them to find out by themselves. But the other thing I find a little bit interesting is that perhaps you would have thought that when the devil told them this information, they could have waited and discussed it with God and double ask, you know, ask his advice again and say, look, that's a good uh, thought, Gabe. Could yeah. we not maybe have a go at this tree and, and see what it's about? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a good thought. Uh, Len, you had a thought for us too. Okay. The point is here, what are the consequences of this action? And did God back down and say, oh, no, it doesn't matter? Well, no. Sin is sin in whatever form it is. And the uh, consequences or the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve died. I know they lived a long time, but they died. Yes. Because uh, God does not excuse sin. Sin cannot remain in the presence of God. Where God is, it's holy. So um, if we get the idea, oh, this is wrong, but it doesn't matter. God will forgive me. Well, that's a wrong attitude. We will have to suffer the consequences of our sin. Whether we smoke too much, we drink too much, or whatever we do, there will be consequences. Yes, the word. Joe? I think it might be worth mentioning that God does not create the consequences. They're actually um, a natural outworking of cause and effect because poor choices create, you know, lead to pain, good choices lead to life. Um, yes, yeah. Basically, it's not God punishing people. You know, like Len just said, you know, you smoke, you, you increase your risk of getting lung cancer. This is not God creating lung cancer. This is you bringing on yourself the consequences of your own choices. Yes. And so it's it's important maybe to absolve God from, you know, punishing people with their poor choices. These are just natural outworkings. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thought. We don't have very long to look, do we, to see what the consequences were. Yeah, later on in Chapter 3, we have the blame game starting. Adam blames Eve. He says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Uh, The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. And then in verse 22, um, we find an interesting comment by the Godhead. The man has become like one of us. And I asked the question, in what sense? What did man learn from knowing good and evil? And the answer is found pretty rapidly in chapter 4, where we have the very first murder. So man's abilities to choose is now perverted. 
yet God allows them to proceed and develop those choices which they have made. Joe, that backs up what you were saying and what Len was saying quite well, that wrong choices lead to consequences. In fact, all choices lead to consequences, but wrong choices lead to negative consequences. And um, God loved them still, but he didn't remove the consequences of their bad choice. Is there a lesson for us here? Len, you had some thoughts for us. Yes, I'd just like to make a little statement that Adam and Eve had become like us. Well, there are a couple of things there. God doesn't call himself by a singular pronoun. He uses a plural pronoun. Yes. Us rather than me. I think probably one of the ways they became like God is they suffered. Now, God had to suffer. I'm sure God suffered enormously to see rebellion in his kingdom where he had everything was made perfect. And so now Adam and Eve had to suffer. And then, of course, when Cain killed Abel, that must have been very hard on Adam and Eve. And God experienced pain and suffering too, which he'd probably not experienced before Satan's rebellion. Yeah. Now, that's a good thought. Isn't it sad? I mean, we obviously can't put ourselves in God's situation, but (laughs) looking at it from our human perspective, imagine living in a holy, happy and perfect environment, which was heaven, and then sin and rebellion entered, which required the expulsion of Satan and a significant number of his angels from heaven. Now God creates subsequently to their expulsion a perfect world. That's what Ken read in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He read how this planet was created perfectly. A perfect man and a perfect woman was put in a perfect environment. And yet we have a repeat, unfortunately, of the exact scenario that took place in heaven. We have a repeat of independence of thought, independence of action. Not that that in itself is wrong, but it's distrusting God and going ahead in rebellion. And in chapter four, I can only just be um, just mildly imagine how Adam and Eve must have felt when they came upon the lifeless body, body of Abel. It must have really been something that would have rammed home to them what sin really did. Joe, you've got a thought for us and also Nick. In relation to... And the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us. To yeah, know interesting good. statement, Joe. It is. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, even here, we are, we are seeing God's mercy. He's saying that we, we don't want man to suffer. Imagine if you had a thousand years of suffering. Now, some have an easier life than others, but all must suffer who live in, on this planet. So that imagine if you were, you, you know, you, you couldn't die because a, I guess death is a form of escape and, um, you know, there's a limit to the pain that one can suffer. Imagine if you had to go on and on and on with your suffering. I think to me this says that God is showing mercy and saying now that he knows good and evil, we know, I know what is ahead for him and um, I will limit the suffering, this pain, to a certain period, a period of probation, a a certain lifespan rather than letting him go on and on with an inability to die. Imagine if... 
yep. someone who couldn't die was got into the hands of torturers. Yes. Yep. Enormous well, amount of pain and suffering. Yeah, that's a good thought, Joe. And it's interesting that if you study the history of the, our early uh, people in Genesis, you'll find that Adam was alive for probably at least six generations. That means his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great-grandchildren and his great-great-great-great-grandchildren would have heard about the fall from Adam, probably personally. Each time he retold the story, he would relive bitterly the consequences of the decision that they made to eat the fruit that God told them not to eat of. That's a very deep statement. And, it it uh, is, Nick. It is. And we can say all sorts of things, but um, the reality is that Adam and Eve, they lost that beautiful place, Garden of Eden, because after the sin, they were not able to stay there anymore. They yes. were cast out of that Garden of Eden. So they lost their home. They firstly. lost their home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, God saying that they become like one of us, I believe God had the intention to vindicate, if you like, God's character through what Satan did in heaven and come on this earth, through Adam and Eve. I think, yes. I think yes. God wanted to do that through them. If Adam and Eve will uh, believe what God have said, they would have been in that position for the vindication of God's character in front of the enemy, Satan. I think this is very interesting. And uh, as they lost that and they moved into a next stage of life, and you pointed out, all of you, that they had to experience all that pain and suffering. And just imagine then, it's, it's, it's a different here from a different point of view, but imagine how Jesus then had to suffer all the pain and suffering because of that consequence. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's very interesting how, um, how the connection is there. From there on, actually, God was activating plan B, if you like. Yeah. They need yeah. a redeemer. Yeah. They need somebody to come and uh, rescue yeah. them yeah. and yeah. vindicate God's character. Yeah, that's true. Um, the interesting point is, though, that pain is one of the consequences. Pain and suffering, I think, Joe, you touched on it and others did too. Pain and suffering is one of the consequences of sin. But isn't it interesting that even today, and all of us have read stories, watched DVDs of people who have suffered in life, rather than making them bitter, in some cases it has drawn them closer to the Lord. The suffering and the pain that they have in, had to endure has actually proved to refine their characters. I believe God's intention originally was that if man had never sinned, his character would grow more and more holy. Anyway, but because of sin, God has now been able to use even the bad aspects of sin for those who trust him to refine their character and to reveal his character to the universe. Nick, you're going to share with us from Deuteronomy chapter 30, because we've moved on pretty quickly now from what took place in Eden, but it was necessary to establish that they had a choice, and they did. They had a choice as to whether they ate of the fruit or not and they chose wrongly. 
Uh, we have studied in the last number of weeks about um, how Moses frequently in the book of Deuteronomy talked to them about being faithful to God and being obedient. Nick, um, I suggested we read Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 to 3. You're free to read that, or if you would rather summarize it, do so. But I want you to compare that with what Joshua said a bit later in Joshua 24, verse 19, which incidentally I was only reading in my worship this morning. Thank you, Nick. Sure, Brenton. And this is a very yeah, interesting passage in Deuteronomy, but as you said, in, in Joshua and also in Hebrew. Yes. Uh, in the yes. New Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, Moses is talking here to Israel, the end of his life, you know, uh, just before uh, Israel is about to enter uh, Canaan. And Moses realizes that he wouldn't have that chance to enter uh, Canaan because God told him that he will not be able. And we are not going to that right now. But Moses is reminding them how God took care of them in all aspects of life, drawing them out of the captivity of Egypt, setting them into the wilderness and teaching them all the things and preparing them for entering Canaan, the promised land. The promised land, yes. But also (laughs) Moses is reminding in these three verses, and I'm just referring to them, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 3. Moses is reminding them that God, set before them also the blessings and the curses correct if you choose and we alluded to that a bit early if you choose the blessings you know you'll have a good life you know to enjoy to live to the fullest but if you are choosing the other thing the curses will come upon you and it's interesting that Moses is talking to them that uh, even prophesying that they will go in captivity again Yes, he is. And so does Joshua in the book exactly. of Joshua. And, mm. and then, but Moses says, but if you turn your hearts back to God and listen to what God told you, yeah. then God is merciful and God will receive you and God will even uh, rescue you, uh, you from the bondage. Mm. And if I could move in, uh, as you just said, in um, Joshua, read a read, uh, few verses in uh, Joshua. And this is uh, chapter 24 mm. in Joshua, 24. And it's the last chapter of Joshua's book. And verse 19 says this. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is holy. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, not your sins. Wow. That's a strong new, statement. That's a strong right? statement. <laughs> yes. I mm. mean, on the other hand, Moses is saying that if you turn to God, God will forgive and God will receive you. And Joshua is saying here, no, you cannot serve God because God is a holy God. I want to just give a bit of background on this one, because if you are going to read a little bit earlier. Yeah. Can you go back to verse 15, Nick? That's the important verse. Too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It, it says here, let's, let's read verse 15. Sure. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether right. the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of Amorites in whose land you dwell, but for me 
and my household will serve the Lord. Isn't now, that a well-known I, text? Absolutely. But even yes. if I will go a little bit earlier, uh, just giving a bit of background, the people were saying that we will serve the Lord, we will do this and that, but they were talking more from their mouth, you know, with, the, with their mouth, not with the heart, you know, because Joshua could see that they, they are in between two opinions. You know how Elijah said, for how long are you in between? Wavering. Wavering in two opinions. Yeah. It's very easy to say, oh, we are saving the Lord, no problem. But yeah. down deep in your heart, you are far away from the Lord. And Joshua is reminding them here, no, you cannot serve the Lord because God is a holy God. You cannot serve the Lord as you just say now and not demonstrating that. Because I believe they were saying these things in, in their um, excitement, yeah. no? but they were not demonstrating that they are really converted and their heart is with God 100%. And then Joshua had to say those things. No, you can't because God is a holy God. Mm-hmm. And, and the, if, if I also now, because you see, you mentioned that you said that Joshua was not able to give them that rest. Which God? Well, I I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Yes, you're quoting the Bible. But I want to just quickly go because I mentioned a passage in uh, in Hebrew. Yeah. Uh, Before you get there, uh, Nick, and you're looking at the Hebrews one, um, just remember that when Joshua is speaking to them in chapter 24, to the best of my research, they have been in the promised land about 20 years. So it's not as though they're on the border of the promised land now. Yes. They're actually in the promised land. Yes. And Joshua is still saying to them, he says, you know, and we all know as a panel, he says in one place, put away the idols that are among you. They're already worshipping idols, maybe secretly or whatever. And he's saying, you have to make a decision. You have to choose who you're going to serve. Now you're going to go to Hebrews and show us what the writer of Hebrews has to say. Thanks. Yes, Brenton, and uh, as you rightly said, because uh, Moses warned them, you know, and gave them all the background, what they need to do. And then, as you said, they are already in the promised land. And uh, instead of uh, benefiting or how to say enjoying, you know, the promises of God, they were continuing to, uh, yeah, to serve those idols and other gods. And then uh, Joshua had to point it directly to them uh, you are not doing what god is asking but yeah let me let me read the verse 1 8 and 9 of hebrew 4 in verse 1 it says this therefore since a promise remains of entering his rest let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it for indeed the gospel the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. That backs up what you said earlier on. They were hearing it. That's correct. It. And just verse 8 and 9, for if Joshua had given them a rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And this is, this is interesting because we are talking now after... Uh, few thousand years of those events and the question is thrown to us now have we entered god's rest god's rest Mm. and this is interesting because it's compared with the sabbath rest and uh, 
we can go on this one, but probably it's not time today to to develop on this aspect, you know, of the what God wants to give his children today, even comparing with the Sabbath rest. Maybe uh, another study, Nick, for another time, I think. <laughs> but yeah, but the spiritual rest, which mm. we are talking about here, is that it's very important today to acknowledge and to understand this language, you know, even um, comparing. And we, we quickly compare these passages from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I will encourage anyone to look into this and learn what that means to live life to the fullest as God intended for us yes. all, even in the, on this condition in a sinful nature, you know, because we live in a, yes. unfortunately in this condition, in this we world, do. sinful world, but we can still live life as God intended for us. Yes, thank you, Nick. That's, um, you've put that extremely well. God's plan is that we live life. I didn't put it in our study here, but all of us know the statement in John chapter 10, where Christ said to his disciples and those who were following him, I have come to give them life and give it more abundantly. So life, as we understand it in the 21st century, and back then as well, life is found in Jesus Christ. Life is not some sort of existential thing where you can get a quality of life by going to university or by doing other things. The quality of life that a person enjoys in this life is directly related, I believe, to their relationship to God. If they have uh, that right relationship with God, they are actually having the abundant life. And the interesting Greek word that's used there is a word that suggests full to overflowing. It suggests over and above anything that you can possibly imagine. Joe, we're moving on in our study. Nick has touched on Deuteronomy 20, 30, rather, verses 1 to 3. But later on in the chapter, um, Moses actually, rather than just, shall we say, talking about pie in the sky stuff, Moses actually tells them how it works. And in verses 11 to 14, I wondered if you could share those with us and maybe just give us some insights into it and how that applies today in our lives. I guess it's probably worth saying that they failed to enter into God's rest because they did not allow him to circumcise their hearts. Ah, and he, yes. Yes. And so in Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 14, it says, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Now, the method of obedience, I think you mentioned that. What is it telling us about the method of obedience? Is not about trying hard. It's not trying, it's not, you know, no matter how hard we try to be obedient, if you like, we will fail to reach the mark because it's impossible for us to bring ourselves into line with God's will. Um, nor can we generate a love for God of our own selves. Now, we know in Romans 8, it says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not yes. submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So really, we're in a state where really we cannot help ourselves. So, though, and of course, it says those who remain in the realm of flesh cannot please God. So here we have in um, Deuteronomy, God is saying, 
don't say, you know, how shall we, you know, how shall we do this? You know, it's somewhere, it's up in heaven. It's impossible. You know, it's so far away, it's unattainable. It is not because it says, I will put it. It'll be within your mouth, within yourself. So God, he replaces our stony heart, if you like it, with a heart of flesh. We talk about the symbolism of circumcision of the heart. So that God here is taking it upon himself. We need to choose God and then God does it for us we don't have to worry about about it being too hard or unattainable that we're going to miss the mark because we're not working too hard enough or trying hard enough God is saying I will do it I will do it trust in me choose me choose life and everything else will be done for you how is it um, different for us today well, I think there's no difference today. No. I think God no. has God has promised, he has promised that just <laughs> as he did to Israel, that he will put it in within our hearts so that we, like the psalmist, like Jesus, went about and delighted in God, doing God's will. So yes. let no one say it can't be done. It can't be. And we're not talking about perfection here, that you're never going to make a mistake. It's walking with God and allowing him to recreate a new heart, a new spirit, which is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. This has become a bit of a cliche in Christian circles, but God here is promising. He's saying, there is no excuse. I will put it within your mouth, within your heart. It is very close. Um, Joe, you've summarised that very, very well. I think there's another point too that I would like to share with our listeners, and that is that If you have not experienced this total surrender to the Lord, I'm pleading with you today to do that because trying to be better, trying to improve yourself is a totally frustrating exercise. And I believe ultimately it will lead you away from God, not to God. And he's waiting for you to surrender your heart so that you can do it. Lydia, you had a thought for us, and then you're going to share some more from Deuteronomy with us. Yes, I would like to add here in verse 11, so chapter Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, Mm -hmm. God is offering here an appeal uh, between life and death. And because he has seen that these people are so rebellious rebellious and uh, hesitant to choose between good and evil, he is saying now, what I commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And this is now the Lord God is commanding them because they have seen their wickedness sure, sure. and their weakness to choose between good and evil. Now he's saying, now I command you for your good and for your life, mm. choose life to choose blessings and goodness not death evil and curses so god is a god of love and he stepped he made one step forward and he's saying okay now i would like to choose for you i would like just to to put it on the platter for you because i can see that you are blind you cannot see it choose life choose me choose blessings and goodness as i said and what would the result be, uh, Lydia? An abundant life, wouldn't it? Yes, exactly. Uh, didn't, didn't verse 19 say, because this is your life? Yep. 
Yeah, and just uh, uh, quickly to mention also sure. what Joe was um, pointing out and Lydia, I was trying to remember that passage, you may help me with that in the Bible, where it says that temptation comes, you know, but God is also providing. It's, it's, in, it's in the book of James, I think it's James chapter 2. Yeah, providing yeah. a way to come out, what that means, that means that sometime, you know, we are tested, we yes. are also going through all sorts of trials and difficulties. But God promised us that he prepared already a way for us to be victorious, to come out of that. Because too often we are complaining and say, why me, Lord? Why I have to go through this or that? Instead of us to saying, thank you, Lord, and understanding that he will take us through all yes. these difficulties because that is life, true, is, yeah. life is not in rows as yeah. is portrayed sometime through um you know through the virtual world and yeah. through media or whatever is life it's real with yes. the blessings and curses yes. with the uh, sin coming upon us every moment or, of our life yeah. and sometimes god allows things to go in our life but wonderful that he promised he have a way for us. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. I didn't Let believe re- my idea. Uh, I, I wanted to say that also. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Lydia. We yeah, cannot sorry. be obedient to God without his mercy and grace. So we have to cling to God every step of the yeah. way. Because true. we cannot be obedient to his commands and uh, precepts without his help. Because we are very sinful. Yes, that's true. It is not the plan of God to compel, to compel men to yield their wicked unbelief. Before them are light and darkness, truth and error. It is for them to decide which to accept. The human mind is endowed with power to discriminate between right and wrong. God designs that men shall not decide from impulse. Note that. God designs that men shall not decide from impulse. We live in a world where impulse seems to govern a lot of what people do these days. But from weight of evidence, carefully comparing, note this, scripture with scripture, Len, all of this is predicated around true worship. The issue is mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, but I would like you to particularly refer to Revelation 13 from verses 12 through to about verse 16 and comment on it, because the issue of worship, we believe, is an issue that is is going to be front and centre in our world today so how do we compare what took place back in deuteronomy with the situation that we will be facing we believe very soon because we understand that prophecy brings to mind a power that is going to compel people to worship but worship was an issue as we've already discussed yes right at the beginning and worship will be an issue right at the end and when you read the bible from the um point of view from creation on worship has been an issue all through now what is worship well worship is really accepting and honoring a being higher than ourselves yes why the worship of idols is such a pointless and my opinion totally stupid thing to worship a lump of stone or a piece of wood or a hunk of metal worship has to be reaching out to someone who's higher than us 
Now, a part of worship is obedience. And there's two kinds of obedience. There's obedience that's forced on you or be obedience that you do willingly. Now, you just think of um, what happened during the war, the Second World War, where people had to do something or they'd be killed. Worship has to be from the heart. This is what we're talking about today. It's about choice. And we are faced, in view of the fact that we're at the uh, final part of Earth's history, we are. We are faced with two things. And I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 13, verse 12. Talks about the beast from the earth. It says, He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And then we go down and it talks about, the Bible talks about this beast power causes people to worship it. Now, what's cause? Well, basically, it's another word for force. Hmm. Compulsion. Operate from an aspect of force uh, right at the beginning. He gave choice and the choice when there's force, it's not choice. Choice is where you can choose to do one thing or the other. And we're talking about choosing life. I want to say this, that in Revelation chapter 14, those two choices are outlined. Yes, they are. Yeah. Worship God and receive his seal. Now it's receive, which is all right, accept. And then it talks about the beast, who's basically an agent of the, of the devil where it says uh, worship him or cause to worship him or force to worship him or it, and the uh, results of one, worship God and receive his seal. You'll have God's name on your forehead and we will have the right to enter the uh, kingdom of God, heaven, eat of the tree of life. Worship the beast, well, you're shut out of heaven and you receive the punishment that those who do not accept God, who worship somebody else, will have this total destruction. One statement, short sentence. The issue of obedience cannot be divorced from true worship. In other words, whatever you worship, you have to obey. Yes, that's a a very good summary. I think having just been reflecting on Scripture as a whole, Yes, there is an aspect of vindication of God's character. Yes, absolutely. However, I am struck with God's eagerness, almost to the point of desperation, of saving as yes. many as he possibly You know, he upholds choose me, choose life. Yes. It started in Eden. He was eager for them to choose, to use their uh, power of choice for the good and live. We have this happening in Noah's time, they were given a choice. Choose righteousness and live. Choose God and live. Israel's time, choose life. Choose the right. Choose God. Choose me. comes down to our time, to right at the end, where God, the three angels' messages are trumpeting, if you like. They're saying, choose God. Yes. Choose life. And so... It's the resounding message of the entire scripture is choose life. Why will you die, O Israel? Yeah, Joe, you've you've summarised that very well. Um, As we know, the second and third angel's messages 
The second one actually announces the fall of spiritual Babylon, uh, the spiritual apostate religion. And the third one tells us very clearly what the consequences will be if we worship the beast in his image that Len has been talking about. When we stand up to Satan, if you like, he will throw negative consequences at us. But we know that even though doing right now and then, you know, getting negative consequences that in the long term, it is a good thing. So it's not always doing what's right will bring joy and delight because clearly doesn't always happen. No. doesn't happen that way, but yep. we still must choose to do right and choose God and choose life for our eternal consequences. Yeah, I, I agree um, totally with that. Um, in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a choice to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or refrain from it. They failed the simple test of two choices. Today, we are daily faced with choosing God to study his word, prayer, and share our faith with others. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to make sanctified choices because the end result of all of this in summary is this. We want to see Jesus face to face, just as Adam and Eve did back in the Garden of Eden before they sinned. Nick, I wondered if you would close with prayer for us, please. Father in heaven, we just uh, pause for a few moments to thank you for the opportunity to open your word and learn and understand your will with us all. And we are talking about these times we live in and our own experience with you. Help us, Lord, to choose life, to choose life in Jesus Christ, because he is our redeemer. Yes. And whatever we will try to do, we cannot achieve anything unless we are in him, in Jesus Christ. Give us wisdom and understanding that we may renounce of ourselves. We'll put ourselves on the altar that you, Jesus Christ, will live in our hearts. Yes, Lord. And not ourselves, not to be egocentric. I pray that you'll bless us and bless everyone who's willing to follow you and to serve you because life is promised to us and not only on this earth, but eternal life, which we are all looking towards with great expectation in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you'll be able to join again when we are continuing studying the Bible and we are going to look a little bit more in what that means to turn our hearts to God. Join us next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with Jesus.